Psalm 18, part two. We looked at this last week. If you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to listen to Psalm 18, part one. But before we dive into today's message, I wanted to give you ahead of time the three takeaways. So that way you would say, I should pay attention, I should listen. This is going to be helpful for me, for us, and for the world. Three takeaways. In other words, if the Lord would bless this message, what should we get out of it? First, a breathtaking doctrine. If the Lord blesses this message, we should all more deeply understand and better grasp the mysterious doctrine that we Christians call the Trinity. God in one, three persons, three persons of the one Godhead. Takeaway number one, this message is going to hopefully help you understand how the Trinity came into Christian doctrine, how early Christians thought God exists in three persons. Second takeaway, Not just a breathtaking doctrine, but a glorious purpose. If God would bless this message, then I think all of us who receive it would be filled with such hope and joy in knowing that we are called to participate in God's plan to save the world. That's a glorious purpose. It's more glorious than any other purpose you could be called to the saving of the whole world, and we are part of that. Third takeaway, if the Lord would bless this message, I hope and pray that he will not just give us a breathtaking doctrine of the Trinity, a glorious purpose of the mission to save the world, but lastly, a Christ-centered unity. If God would do work in our hearts, we would, as Romans says, live in such harmony with one another that together we would, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Unity in the midst of all of the diversity around this room. Unity in Jesus Christ. I feel like that would be good. Like, I woke up this morning and said, I'm excited to share this word with you all because those three takeaways, if you could better know your God as the Trinitarian God and have a purpose and a hope for what the whole world is headed toward and that we together would be unified in the midst of all the crazy diversity in the world, every kind of diversity you could think, well, then that would be an amazing gift. I just want to pray once more that God would give us that gift. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we believe your words that we're about to hear from and receive are not Phil's words, but they are yours. And so we ask for the blessing of your word upon this message. And that you would help us to be freed from the distractions that would keep us from receiving the good that might come from this message. And we ask that you will do even more than these three things. More than I could even ask or imagine. Do abundantly more to build up your church and make yourself known among all peoples of the world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
More than any other time, I really believe you would be helped by the back of your handout. If you don't have one, please head out to the foyer and grab one or look at the neighbor next to you. I had a few people mention last week as we looked at Psalm 18, part 1. We entitled that message, A Song About David's Deliverance. And as you see on the front side of your handout, today's message, part 2, is a song about Jesus' deliverance. And I want to dedicate this entire message to helping you understand that when you read Psalm 18... The earliest Christians read Psalm 18 not ultimately about David, but about Jesus and about Jesus' deliverance from death. That's the argument I'm going to make. And more specifically, as you see on the back of your handout, here's the big idea. Jesus is singing praises to his Father with people from all the nations of the world. That's my argument from the Bible. And I'm going to defend that argument that the Bible declares that Jesus is singing. And so let me just make sure you're tracking with this big idea. Is is present tense on purpose. Jesus is singing right now in the present. And you might be thinking, like in heaven? Perhaps yes, in part, but I mean right here in Embassy Church. Jesus is with us. Therefore, he is among us and he is singing with us, praising the Father by the power of the Spirit of Jesus. So when we sing, he's singing with us. We're singing with Jesus. Jesus is singing with us. Second thing I want to point out in the big idea, Jesus is singing praises to his Father, and the reason why he is singing among us and with us is because he was delivered from death and became the victorious king over the whole world. That's the reason he's singing, according to Psalm 18 and Paul's use of Psalm 18 and Romans 15. That's the Bible's I think summary of how this is a Jesus song. Jesus sings praise to the Father because he was delivered from death, victoriously rose again from the dead, ascended to the Father, and sings and announces that he will sing. He will sing with us in the church. Therefore, today, literally, right now, all around the world, Christians filled with the spirit of Jesus, are singing praise to the Father in heaven, and they're representing nations from all over the world. Jesus is singing praises to the Father all over the world. That's a big idea. Did you ever think that Jesus was singing with you? Well, I want you to today. I want you to see that from the Bible, and so I want to give this sermon outline. So my message to you is going to have three parts. To unpack this idea, we got to first remember David sang, then Jesus sang, so then we, embassy, we sing. David, Jesus, embassy. It's very simple. I think it'll help you realize that this is what God's word has for us today. So first, David sings. In Psalm 18, We read the whole psalm last week. I gave you a big overview about David's song. It's very long. I encourage you to read it every day this week. I hope some of you did. I'd love to know if you did, by the way. Let me know afterwards. I read the psalm every day this week. You could do it again this week. But the point being, 
I'm not going to read all of it. I have some points I want to make from the book of Romans that we need to get to, and it's use of Psalm 18. So, just to catch us all up to speed, David sings. And here's how I want you to realize each of these points, David, Jesus, and embassy. There's a story that we could tell about God protecting someone from death, and it produces a song of praise. So that's the story here. You'll see it here, Psalm 18. Look at the little subscription, superscription, as it's called. To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So this song is based off of a story in the Bible. And I read you that story last week. So again, to just summarize, David has been chosen as the anointed one, meaning he is the God-chosen king for the people of Israel. So here's who this guy is that's writing this song. David, chosen by God to be the king. Problem, there's already a king in Israel on the throne. His name is Saul. If you're the king and you find out that somebody else has just been chosen to replace you and you're power hungry, conflict, do you see? That's the conflict in the story. Saul, already on the throne, hears about David being chosen by God to be the new king, to take him and replace him as king, does not like this idea and thinks, if you're power hungry and you don't care about honoring God, you decide, I'm going to kill David. Simple solution. David can't take the throne if he's dead, so Saul seeks to kill him. And this happens for chapters in the book of 1 Kings. 1 Samuel, more specifically, I mean. In the book of 1 Samuel, we hear about David's being pursued by Saul. And then I read you the very specific story where Saul's getting very close. So imagine in your minds David hiding in the mountains. In one specific mountain, he's hiding in a cave in a rock, in the cleft of a rock. He's hiding there, and Saul is right on his heels, and he's about to come and destroy David and kill him. That's the story. And what we find out from reading 1 Samuel is that God brought some messengers to Saul and said, Saul, Saul, we need to go. We need to leave because Philistines are attacking. We got we to head a different direction. And so just right before he about to catch David and kill him, God diverts his path and David is free. And our psalm says that the day that he was delivered from the hand of Saul, he wrote a song of praise. There's the simple point. You guys all on the same page with me? David sings because of God's protection from death. And here is the song of praise. So instead of reading all of the psalm, let me just show you the structure that I mentioned. And now visually, you can hopefully see it. A couple of you mentioned that to me. Uh, A, B, C, like I got lost, Pastor Phil. Can you just like show us on a piece of paper? Ta-da, here you go. Here's the, the structure of the longest psalm of David, 50 verses. And now you can hopefully get some handles on it. A, first three verses, David passionately prays God and says that God is his rock, right? That makes sense, doesn't it? He was hiding in a rock, in the cleft of a rock, on a high place. All these Hebrew words poetically are describing this situation I just told you in the story. David praises him and says, I love you, Lord. You, you, you saved me. I called and you saved me. Second section of the psalm, God protects David and all of this section... Letter B, verses 4 to 19, is about a poetic meditation of David's rescue from death. 
And as I mentioned last week, it is hyperbolic language. He says, the mountains are shaking and the whole world's foundations are trembling and God's nostrils are breathing out lightning and thunder. And you read that and you're like, I don't remember that in 1 Samuel. And so again, this is poetic commentary of exuberant, passionate praise. And it it matches the feeling or experience you would have. This is what I tried to say last week. If you've ever been like in a near-death experience and you're just like, whoa. That's, that's what you're supposed to imagine in this scene. David just being so overwhelmed with love and praise toward God for rescue. So verses 4 to 19 are intense with praise of God's protection. Middle sections, section C, has two parts. David says, God, you saved me because I'm blameless. I'm perfect. And I don't mean this that he's saying he never sinned. It's just a common Old Testament way to say, I have been faithful to keep your word and covenant promises and, and been faithful on my end of the covenant. And so that's David saying, so, so you've been gracious to me and you've kept your promises because you are good. And that's the center section. And honestly, that was what I tried to key on last week. You, you will pray to God and praise him if you realize how good God is, like David does. You realize his ways and his perfection. You will see, man, this God is so good. You see right there on your handout, one of the key verses is that second bullet point. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Do you know that about God? His ways are so good. Next section. Paralleling the first B section, verses 31 to 45, are again about God's protection. But more specifically, here's, here's how the flow of the psalm goes. I praise you, God, A, because you saved me from death, B, because you are good and your ways are good and I've been faithful, so you've blessed me. Back to B, this time he says, you didn't just save me from my enemies. You helped me conquer my enemies. It's a step further than just that event on the mountain. It kind of fast forward the, the story a little bit and says, David did eventually take the throne. He did have success in battle and he was now the king over all of Israel. And that's the second B section. And then finally, David passionately praises the Lord in verses 46 to 50. I have it here on your handout. Let's just read that section one more time because it's so important. It's a key passage. 46 to 50, the Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this, I will praise you. The reason I'm praising you, O Lord, is for that deliverance. And I will praise you among the nations, and I will sing to your name great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Amen. All right, so a story of protection from death produced a song of praise for David. Point one. Point two. Jesus sings. David sings, now we need to consider Jesus also sings. Because Jesus, there's a story about Jesus being protected from 
the anguish of death from the darkness of Sheol, or the grave. And Jesus then praises his father for rescuing him. And it says in the book of Romans that Jesus is singing not just any song, but he is singing Psalm 18, verse 49. That's what the Bible says in the book of Romans. Paul the Apostle is thinking about the story of Jesus and his deliverance, and he's matching it, he's overlapping it with David's deliverance, and saying that the greater David, the son of David, the king, the true Messiah anointed one, the Christ, Jesus was protected from death. Do you know the story of Jesus? Jesus was born of a virgin sent by God the Father. He was born supernaturally, lived on this world as a baby, as an infant, and matured in wisdom and stature throughout his entire childhood until he was anointed and baptized as the chosen anointed one the one who would be the true son of David to take the reins of the kingdom. And so, as he's on his way to Jerusalem, the way that he would conquer is not through a battle with swords and violence, but by being crucified on a cross, by dying. He conquered by being conquered. Jesus hung, naked, ashamed, bearing all the weight and wrath and the curses of God upon himself as he hung on the cross. And then he was buried into the ground, the very entanglement of Sheol. Look at our psalm again when it says that the cords of Sheol entangled me and the snares of death confronted me. Is there anybody in the world that that's more true of than Jesus Christ himself, who was into the very darkness and pit of the earth when he was buried in the grave. And then three days later, on Resurrection Sunday morning, Jesus Christ was delivered, raised, rescued from the anguish of death, and he appeared to hundreds of people, and then he ascended into heaven, and he came before the Father. And what I believe Paul is saying, and again, if you have your handout, the very last bullet on your handout is Romans chapter 15. I believe what is happening in Romans is that Paul in his mind is thinking, just like David had this deliverance, except David's deliverance was close to dying. Jesus did die. See the difference? The deliverance that David had was great. By all means, it's worthy of singing a great song of praise to God for But Jesus' deliverance was actually from the grave itself, a greater deliverance. And what I think that is happening is Paul is envisioning a kind of imaginary picture of Jesus ascending into heaven before the Father and declaring to the Father, Psalm 1849, where Jesus is telling the Father, I will praise you, Father, and I will sing among the Gentiles. Look at Romans 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. 
pause right here in Romans and realize that at this point, he has been having a long conversation about how people in the church have a hard time getting along. Because some are from Jewish background and some are from non-Jewish background, and he is encouraging them, as you see, welcome each other. Be unified together. Live in harmony together. Bring your voices together. I know some of you are Jews. I know some of you are Gentiles. I know that that means some of you really have strict rules about what is okay to eat and what is not okay to eat, or certain things to wear, other things. Do you all understand that the world is very easily divided along ethnic lines or religious or political backgrounds? Is that like a newsflash or you're like, no, it's always kind of been that way. It's, it's that way right now. A pandemic comes up, and then all of a sudden, we're just being quickly divided by mask wearing or not mask wearing, vaccines or not vaccines, did you vote for so-and-so or so-and-so, right? Like, it's all the time. The church is constantly having the threat of division on things that aren't the gospel. And so that's the case 2,000 years ago in Rome, and Paul's saying we've got to stick to Jesus, We've got to be unified together. That's his message, and I'm summarizing a long section of Romans until he says this. Pick up where I left off. Four, right in the middle of that paragraph. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written in Psalm 18:49. therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. I'm trying my best to just be simple and clear, but there are a lot of steps that get to this conclusion, and I just want you to know that essentially I think the best way to read this is that when he quotes Psalm 18, he's saying that Jesus is taking the words of I. I, Jesus. Therefore, I, Jesus. That's the best way to read verses 8 and 9. I tell you that Jesus Christ became the servant of the Jews, just like David was, to confirm the promises that were given to Abraham and the fathers of the Jewish people, and so that the Gentiles, that's just a word to talk about all the peoples of the world, would glorify God for the mercy of Jesus. He's talking about Jesus, 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 and then says, as it is written, therefore Jesus is the one that is in the presence of the Father, telling the Father, because you delivered me from death, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. That's the flow and logic of Romans. There's a lot, right? But I hope you get it. When you read Psalm 18, read it like Paul did. That's the bottom line. Read it that Jesus himself is taking on the place of David and doing even more than what David could have ever said or done. A story of protection from death produced a song of praise on the lips of not just David, but Jesus. So here's the thing that you need to realize as to why this is relevant to you and me as we sit here today and as we sing songs together. David sings, Jesus sings, which leads to embassy singing, right? Look very carefully, italicize, underline the quotation of Psalm 18, verse 49. If Jesus is in the presence of the Father after being delivered like David was, that's the best, again, logic. David was delivered from near death. Jesus was delivered from death. So this is after the resurrection. This is as he's being enthroned as the king who has victory overall. That moment, he says to the Father, I will 
praise you among the Gentiles, and I will, future, sing to your name. Not, not just that he is in that moment, but that he will continually. So I ask you, when and where is Jesus singing among the Gentiles? Again, the nations. In heaven? No, there's not Gentiles gathered together singing praises in that sense, at least. I think what he's referring to is the outpouring of his spirit on the earth so that he is amongst all the peoples of the earth giving praise to God the Father through Jesus Christ. So, I ask each and every one of you, do you have a story that produces a song of praise? Personally, individually, first, let's start there. Individually, have, have you been saved from death? This is the most important thing that we could ever think about or talk about. Death is inevitable. Whether you're vaccinated, unvaccinated, we could go on and on, right? At the end of the day, we die because of sin in the world. Therefore, are you ready? Are you prepared for death? Earlier this morning, some of us were gathering in the basement, as we like to do before the church service. One of our church members got up and shared her story. And she said that she was insecure, she wasn't feeling beautiful, and she saw a group of Christian women that just seemed to have a light and a glow about them that she didn't have. And before long, she started hearing them share the story of Jesus, and then that became her story. You mean Jesus was rescued from the grave? He was delivered from death? And that when I die, I can be delivered from death? And then she shared how that has changed and transformed her whole life. It's not just Jesus' story, it's her story. Is, is that true of you? Have you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, repenting of your sin and realizing that because of your sin, all of us die? And therefore, we need to be saved by the message of the gospel of Jesus' own deliverance. So that way, it'll become our deliverance. And my guess is that if that touches your brain and your heart and your soul, it's going to produce a song of praise. And that will become not just your story, but it'll become our story as a church. So, I said at the very beginning, you should have three takeaways. Can you see them yet? First, a breathtaking doctrine. How can you make sense of all that I've just shared with you throughout the Bible if you don't believe in the triune God? The Father makes a plan of salvation that includes sending the Son. The Son is born by the power of the Spirit, lives a perfect life, dies on the cross, is risen from the dead by the power of the Spirit, ascended to heaven, and then pours out that Spirit so that you and I would have our lives changed and transformed. I don't think you can make sense of this unless you believe that there is a Father who sends a Son, who pours out the Spirit, and that all of them are equally, in some mysterious way, God. And in fact, it's passages like Romans 15 that many Bible teachers will argue this is the birthplace or the seeds for what we now call Trinity. Jesus praising the Father, distinct and different from each other, 
pouring out the Spirit so that the church together gathers in the Spirit of Jesus. You need each of those persons in order for this to work. Father, Son, and Spirit. And if you make sense of the way that Paul reads Psalm 18.49, then I think you'll make sense better of the early Christian doctrine of the triune God. Second, a glorious purpose. Can you see how there is hope and joy in knowing that you and I are called to join in and participate in a great plan to save the whole world? Romans is talking about how we would come together as Christians filled with God's Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus is sometimes called, or the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God brings us together for the sake of the Gentiles glorifying God around the whole world. I don't know about you, but one of the greatest things about coming together in a church gathering is to realize that something bigger is going on that's beyond just my little world. And it humbles me. It gives me hope. It gives me a sense of direction and purpose. And more than anything, what we need every day is reasons to get up in the morning and have hope. What if you come to the end of your life and you realize it's all just going to go away anyway because you died? All the money, all the fame, all the popularity, whatever you could amass and accumulate, it just ends with a giant dead end. What was that for? This is, this is the deep meditation of the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. Why? It seems like it's all just worthless and empty and vain. Why do we do any of the things that we do? If you're a Christian, if you've been given a purpose to glorify God, because we know that's not the end of the story, we know that death isn't going to get the final say. Satan got the first word, Jesus got the last word. Do you believe that? Does that give you hope? That there's actually things that you're doing right now that will have a continual reward or effect from this life into the life to come. So I believe that this doctrine of God being glorified through all the world reminds us why our mission is to make disciples of all nations. It's why we devoted the entire morning primarily to, to talk about discipleship in the local church. And so I would encourage you to get on board with the greatest calling that you could ever be called to do. More than any other hobby, more than any other job that you might get, you can have the job of helping people come to know Jesus and have their lives forever changed and transformed. One of the things I loved about the testimony this morning was the way that it wasn't just the idea of, I was saved from death, thank God I got to get out of hell free card kind of thing, but rather I was given a new sense of purpose and direction and it's discipleship. May that multiply. May that actually not just be a slogan on like our church website, but actually the embodied experience of our people. We exist to make disciples to the ends of the world, all nations. And my hope and prayer is that you will be challenged and encouraged and want to be a part of this glorious purpose. And third, the Trinitarian doctrine is breathtaking. The mission of the church to make disciples among all nations is glorious. But third and finally, I think we need to talk about what Paul's talking about in Romans 15. 
He quotes this psalm, Psalm 18, when he's talking about divisions within the church. Jew-Gentile divisions. Issues over whether or not someone should be circumcised or not. Whether or not somebody should eat meat sacrificed to idols or not. And again, you can read chapter 14 and read into chapter 15. And he's saying that there are some that have this conviction and some that have this conviction. Oh, what a great reminder for us in this day, right now, 2021, in the middle of the COVID pandemic and its ongoing effects and its constant temptation to divide the church, not just the church broadly, but this church embassy. And I want to just plead with you all, humble yourselves in such a way that you can self-sacrificially love and do fellowship and life and mission together with people in this church that don't agree with your politics or your view on science or your understanding of what's best for the world right now, but that there's one thing we do agree upon, and it's Jesus Christ. That with one voice, we would glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we would come together each week, and there would be such unity and love for one another. And it's not just about COVID. I mean, friends, this is something we've been preaching from day one at Embassy that this church would be increasingly diverse with various peoples from every stage and walk of life, old and young, rich and poor, people from different ethnicities and places that they were born in some far off place of the world and then they come to Chicago and they meet somebody and then they come to faith, they get baptized, they join this church. This is not a church of the United States of America. This is not a church where we want to boldly proclaim we are Christians from America. We are Christians from heaven. We call ourselves Embassy Church because we are ambassadors to the one King of Kings, the one who is ruler over all the heavens and the earth. To use the specific language of Psalm 18, look with me in your Bibles to that section where David declares that he has made the head over all. It's on your handout too, starting in verse 43. Look at the way David talks about deliverance. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing, clinging, coming to me. Foreigners lost heart from their homeland and came trembling out of their fortresses to find their fortress and their refuge in me, David says. David's song of praise is not just about, God, oh, I almost died, but you saved me. Thank you. That's the first half. The second half is, and then after I was rescued, I became the ruler over the whole world. And if you read the story of David, he didn't. He died too. And so there's this massive problem left with Psalm 18. Who's going to be the one that's the head over all the nations, that all the foreigners of the world leave their gods and their religions and their ethnicities and all of their first allegiances and come bow before the anointed one of God? I think Paul gets it right on the money. Psalm 18 is fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Psalm 18 is a song that Jesus can sing way better than David did and knows the ins and outs and the depths to a degree that David could never even dream or imagine. So I want to exhort us to see Jesus as the head over all, all ethnicities, all ages, all stages, 
all socioeconomic statuses, all education levels. Here's one thing we need, Christ, to come together around and say, that's our hope. Friends, is that us? Is that Embassy Church? Doesn't that make our singing entirely different when you think about it like this? We're singing with Jesus to the praise of the Father and the glory of his Son. And we're doing so with one voice because this is not some show. This is not a performance. We should not divide. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Do you remember when I was preaching on Ephesians and I said, we should not divide over styles of music? Well, we'll have one service in the morning, and it's going to be for the old hymns. And then we'll have another service later on, and it's going to be for those that like a rock and roll service. The church literally divides over styles of music today. No wonder we're getting divided over things regarding vaccines and masks and whatever else. Do you see how easy it is to lose focus of Christ? The point is for us to not watch a show Sunday after Sunday. The point is us to participate in worship to the Father. So if you sing very badly, like I, you can't hold a tune, great. God is praised by your voice joining other people who maybe can sing well. But here's the thing. God doesn't hear just your one voice. He hears us collectively together, and we're singing with Jesus for his glory and praise. And I hope that that will forever transform the way you think about Sunday corporate worship a unifying practice commanded to us, not as a side thing, but as a central part of what makes us Christian. We sing with Jesus, for him, about him. Do you know that other religions don't sing like Christians sing? Maybe because they've not been delivered. Maybe because their religions are just about things that you need to do in order to earn favor with God. We sing because we've been delivered. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come now in the name of Jesus and we pray that the spirit of Jesus Christ would be felt and palpable in not just our singing, but in the remembering of his death on the cross and his body and his blood shed for us. We pray that the presence of God would be felt in the way that we listen and love and take care of one another's needs in this church, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week. And we pray that your presence would be felt as we go and make disciples of all the nations, whether we send our money or we send our, ourselves, that we would take short-term trips, that we would take long-term extended vacations permanently in another location for the rest of our lives to share the gospel with those who can't hear Jesus if we don't go. We want to pray for those supported workers that are especially in the UAE right now, Nissen and Joanna. We pray for Mark and Hannah Donald, these supported workers of embassy that we are giving every week and are offering to send out and support and help those who are in a place where there are all kinds of people from all over the world. And we ask that your spirit would bring new people to faith this week throughout the rest of this year, and we pray that it would bring glory to the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.